Hello and welcome to the Apostolic Church Liverpool podcast. We hope the message you're about to listen to will inspire you, will be a blessing to you and give you perspective in life. For more of such messages, you can visit our website at www.tac-lona.org.uk You can also access other messages and resources from our YouTube channel, The Apostolic Church Europe. We hope you're blessed and inspired by today's message. God bless you. Here's the message. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to complete. It says now in the it says now in the sixth month after that, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee named Nazareth. To a girl never having been married and a virgin engaged to be married to a man whose name was Joseph, my namesake, a descendant of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, verse 28. And he came to her and said, Hail, O favored one, endued with grace. Some other version says, favored one that is full of grace. The Lord is with you. Blessed and favored of God are you before all other women. Verse 29, but when she saw him, she was greatly troubled and disturbed and confused at what he said. And she kept revolving in her mind what such a greeting might mean. And the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found grace, free, spontaneous, absolute favor and loving kindness with God. And listen, you will become pregnant and you will give birth to a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be eminent. And he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his forefather, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob throughout the ages. And of his reign, there will be no end. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how can this be? Since I have no intimacy with any man as a husband, I'm still single. Verse 35, then the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you like a shining cloud. And so the only pure, sinless offspring, which, ya, which shall be born of you, shall be called the Son of God. And listen, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived the Son. And this is now the sixth month with her, who was called barren. Verse 37, for with God, nothing is ever impossible. And no word from God shall be without power or impossible of fulfillment. The last verse, then Mary said, behold, I am the handmaiden of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to what you have said. And the angel left her, and the angel left her. I've titled the message, Full of Grace, Full of Grace. So far in this series, um, you know that the theme for the month is Limitless Grace. And by God's grace, in the past couple of weeks, we've dived into that head on. In the very first week, we looked at what exactly this limitless grace is. What's God's limitless grace? And last week, we began to consider what that limitless grace can do for us. Using the story of Jacob, we saw how mightily God expressed that uncommon grace in his life. But today, we want to turn our attention to what that grace can do through us, what that grace can do through you, through me, through every single one of us that is a recipient of that limitless grace. Because you see, the story of us as Christians, the story of us as believers, and we saw a snapshot of what the end of that story will look like today at the growth track. 
But the story of being saved is not an end in itself, it's a means to an end. And the ultimate end is for God himself to be glorified and for his pleasure to be served. The Bible is clear that the end for each and every one of us, our purpose, our primary and ultimate purpose is to give God supreme joy, to give him supreme pleasure, to give him unadulterated pleasure by the reason of becoming part of his family. The Bible says in Revelation 4.11, you are worthy our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things and for your pleasure. For your pleasure, they were created. For your pleasure, they exist. For his pleasure is why you and I are here doing what you and I do. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, the very first part of it from the easy-to-read version. It says, God, the one who made all things and for whose glory all things exist. He made all things. And all of those things, you and I inclusive, we exist for his glory. He says he wanted many people to be his children and to share in his glory. He wants you and I to be his children and to share in his glory. One of the um, tag names for the apostolic church, if you will, is the glorious vision. And if you are talking of the glorious vision, it's not something arbitrary. This is the glorious vision right here. The glorious vision is a family whereby all of us buy into this vision of God, this vision of what God himself has always wanted to happen. He wanted a family where everyone is radiating his glory, where everyone is, is so much into him, is how as we are, is, and we are a family of love, if you will, a family where we just worship him in, in, in acknowledgement of how unworthy we are of partaking in the glory are so willing to share with each and every single one of us. And in light of that, this is still laying the, the foundation for the message. The point becomes that we are saved in order that we can become so full of God's glory that you, you can carry God's glory wherever you are, to, to, so full of that glory that wherever you go to, others are drawn to the sight of that glory. Others want to also partake of whatever it is that you have encountered that is beginning to shine forth through your life. And not just by your words, but most importantly, or more importantly, through your lives, through your deeds, through your actions, through your interactions, through how you relate with everyone, in that you meet everyone that is your neighbor so to be full of god's glory to put it in a nutshell is to be full of jesus to be full of god's glory is to be full of jesus because jesus himself is the supreme expression of the glory of the father but again to be full of jesus is to be full of grace remember we are coming down to limitless grace to be full of Jesus is to be full of grace. John chapter 1, verse 15, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the grace of God. And, and, and indeed, when we begin to look at that dimension of, of Christ's expression, it says in, in verse 14 of that same John 1, that um, the word became flesh, he dwelt amongst us. We beheld his glory as that of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, full of this limitless, endless, inexhaustible grace and truth. 
And when I began to ex expound that phrase, the Holy Spirit laid that phrase on my heart as I began to prepare for this message, full of grace, full of grace. Immediately I remembered, of course, John 1.14, where that came about Jesus. But I, I, was, I was interested when I found out that there is another person that was described that way in the Bible, and that was Mary. The Bible says in the passage that we have read, verse 28 of Luke chapter 1, and the angel went in and said unto her, Hail thou full of grace, the Lord is with you, and blessed are you among women. And we know indeed that the person that God chose in all of his wisdom and in all of his sovereignty to be the one that would bear the, the, the savior of the world. So much so that even now it's almost, um, it's, not, it's not wrong theologically to say she is the mother of God, not in the sense of her giving back to God almighty because God made her, but in the sense of her being the vessel and the channel through whom God man, Jesus, the man Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, came to be in the world. And, and there is no honor that is greater than that. There is no honor that supersedes that. But what is it about Mary that would make her to be the one that was so favored of God? What it, what it, what it is about her life that is so um, unique, if you will, that we can learn from if we are going to go out into our neighborhood, into the rest of our journey, being the kind of vessels that are also full of grace being the kind of people that wherever you step into, the atmosphere changes because you're there. Being the kind of people that by virtue of you being somewhere, you know, one of the things that Pastor drew our attention to last week uh, about Jacob was Laban admitted that it was because of Jacob that his business was prospering. He couldn't bear to part with him because he came to realize that there is something about him. There is something about Jacob. He was full, if you will of God's grace. The same was said of Joseph while he was in prison. In fact, everywhere he found himself, when he was in the house of Potiphar, Potiphar was wise enough or discerning enough to realize that ever since this young man stepped in, things changed. And he was so willing to commit everything to his hand because here is a young man who was full of grace. But today we are, we are focusing on Mary and her life and asking that question. So what can we learn from our life that can teach us to be that kind of Christian who are so full of God's limitless grace, so full of it that we carry that contagious life, that we are able to evangelize without even necessarily telling someone, give your life to Christ. That without you opening your mouth to preach as it were, things are happening. I've shared with us before, to the glory of God, um, how in, in 21 days of being posted to a particular station in Nigeria, I was posted to Elisha 2013, and I thought I was going to be there for, for very long. Uh, and then all of a sudden, another letter came, they, they wanted me back in Lagos. But within those 21 days that I was in Elisha, I was living together with the driver of my bus. And it's not like I was supposed to do that. It's not like I was mandated to do that. The rooms were many. The man didn't have a wife, didn't have all his children had grown. The mission house is large, but I chose to stay in the same room with his driver because I felt the Holy Spirit wanted me to do that. And I noticed very many things within so short a time. We would go from prayer meetings, he won't come, all that. We only see him when there is a journey to embark on. And then he drives us and he stays in the car. When the service is over, you meet him in the car, you go home together. 
And I began to have a concern for him, but I felt like the Holy Spirit is saying, don't say anything to him. Just stay together, live together, and do life the way you would normally do your life. Two weeks later into my staying with him, I, I came into the room and saw him reading my Bible. And that was very strange. In the first instance, he's from a Muslim background. He's not a Christian of that sort. And I did as if I didn't see him. Went, got him a copy of the exact same Bible. It's a bilingual Bible. It's got Yoruba and English. Wrote his name on it and gave it to him. That was the only gesture I could say I do practically. And then the next week after that, I was going to be going back to Lagos. And he himself came down in tears and began to speak and say, oh, no, I, I believe God has started something. This is not the time for you to go and things. And I was like, what have I done? I've never spoken anything to you. He that has begun a good work will perfect it. But what is it that, that can make us that kind of vessels of glory, vessels of grace, that wherever you are, when people encounter you and they meet with you, there is something of your life that draws them. There is something of your life that says, I want to be like this. I want to taste what you have tasted. I want to catch the life that you've caught. And we're going to see that from the life of Mary. The tip is that everything that we're going to look at, four points basically, has to do with a relationship with the will of God and the word of God. Mary's relationship with the will of God and the word of God. Because to be full of grace is to be full of Jesus. To be full of Jesus is to be full of God's word. For Jesus himself is the word. I am the word. In the beginning was the word. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So what are those four characteristics from the life of Mary that I want to draw our attention to this morning? The very first is the fact that she was inquisitive about the will of God. Mm. She was inquisitive about the will of God. It's, we, we could easily read that story. And I mean, I've just read an excerpt of a longer story, really. But in verse 34, where she said, how will this be since I'm a virgin? That is someone that is not just religiously in a relationship with God. She's in a relationship with God in a manner in which she desires to She's free enough to express her, her curiosity. She's free enough to ask God questions. I mean, this is the servant or the messenger of God delivering the message to her. And she wasn't frazzled to the point of not being able to express, okay, I'm, I'm up for whatever it is that you're saying, but there is a part of this that doesn't make sense. He said, I'm going to be pregnant. I'm going to have a son. And this is, from what you've said, I can tell that this is the same son that every Jewish lady in her time had always anticipated that there will be the one to bat the Messiah that they've read about in the Old Testament scriptures that they had access to. For her to be that one, at this time, when she doesn't have a husband, she was engaged, but not yet married, and she was asking, how will this happen? And as simple as that question is, it, the Holy Spirit drew my heart to see that graceful Christians, Christians that are not just Christian because they come to church or they attend services and Bible studies and stuff. They are the kind of people that have sincere conversations with God. They have sincere yeah. conversations with God and they ask God sincere questions. It's not sinful to have questions. In fact, God is pleased when we ask him questions than when we settle for what we are told without coming to a place of personal conviction. She could have heard all of those things and be like, okay, God is God. He will do whatever he wants to do but that wasn't enough for her. She wanted to engage with God's will to the point of coming to a personal conviction about what God 
is about to do. And God is, God is happy to get personal with you and I like that. God is happy to, to be involved in deciding what you're going to wear to work tomorrow if you want to discuss it with him. God is personal to the point of wanting to, to, to let you know how many spoons of salt to put in the food that you are cooking. Or you could think, oh, I've always done it this way. So it's always worked. I don't need to involve him in this. He wants to be personal with every minutest detail of your life. It says in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, Hide the Lord, I'm the one speaking to you. Come and let's discuss this. Is the God that invites us for a discussion. Is the God that invites, and this is even in the Old Testament. Imagine now that we have him fully resident on our inside. And there is no other Christian that have a higher version of that than the other. It is to the extent to which we realize this and actively and consciously engage his presence, engage the fact that we, we are in him and he's in us. And it's not just a theoretical, theological reality. It is so real that I can speak to him. I like this winner song where he sang, My Redeemer Lives. And the favorite part of that song for me is at the very end where the song was already going to fade. And then she said, I spoke with him this morning. I spoke to him this morning, he lives. As, as though this is not just some redeemer that lives because we read it in the Bible. He lives so much so that I spoke to him this morning before I came to the studio to record this. That's the kind of inquisitiveness that we see in the life of Mary. And by way of application, I just want to, to, to say to us, don't just listen to sermons or read the Bible as a duty. Engage with the message. Engage with the will of God. The will of God, by the way, is the word of God. And do it from a posture of faith. I mean, in the very same chapter, Zechariah asked the angel, the same angel was sent to Zechariah six months earlier on and said, you're going to have a son. His name is going to be John the Baptist and this and this and this will happen. And Zechariah asked the question and he was like, how can I know that this is going to happen? You can see that I'm an old man. This is, this is, it just doesn't sound real. He wasn't asking with the same kind of curiosity that Mary was asking from, or from the place of faith. He was asking from the place of, this is not possible, forget it. And God said, okay, you want a sign? You'll be dumb until the time that the baby would come. And he gave him that kind of a sign. And here he was a man that even the angels said of him that he was blameless up until that point. And so we're saying, Whatever it is you're doing, we relate to God by faith. We relate to God on the posture and on the basis of faith. And secondly, I want us to also draw attention to how we pray. When you pray, don't forget to listen to the God that is listening to you. Don't forget to listen to the God that is listening to you. Enough of trying to just pray as a way of, I just want to tell God my problems for him to fix Take some time to hear what he wants to say. In fact, Mother Teresa said, listening is the beginning of prayer. She was interviewed sometimes before she died. And the man was like, when you pray to God, what do you say? She said, I don't say anything. I listen. And the interviewer was confused and said, okay, when you listen, what does God say? Said, she said, God doesn't say anything. He also listens. And the person was confused. And he said, she said, if you can't understand that, forget it. You can never get it. <laughs> what she's saying, in essence, is not that you don't talk when you pray, but that prayer is not a one-way traffic. It's, it's you listening to the God that is listening to you. It's you wanting to catch the heartbeat of God. It's not so much as God, do what I want. It's so much more about God. I want to know what you want. 
so that you can empower me to do it. That's prayer. She said, God speaks in the silence of the heart when we listen. And then we speak to God from the fullness of our heart and God listens. And this listening and this speaking is what prayer is meant to be. The second point about Mary is that she was submissive to the will of God. I mean, this is very apparent from the passage and it's a simple point, but again, it's one that we should not omit. Submissive to the will of God. In the example I gave, for instance, when I felt the nudge, when I arrived at the mission house and the man of God said, there is a, there's a room for you, there is this, there is that. And I felt like, no, the Holy Spirit is saying, live with this young man. Simple, simply submitting to that instruction led to something. That's, that's how it happens. You're walking down the road and the Holy Spirit is saying, look at that guy that is going ahead of you. Walk up to him, greet him with a smile, engage him in a conversation. And that sounds like the weirdest thought that could ever cross your mind at that point in time because, I mean, you're in the UK. Everybody is supposed to be individualistic. Everybody wants to mind their business. I don't want to be the one to put to poke my nose into someone else's matter. But if the Holy Spirit is the one that has given you the instruction, will you be willing to submit? I was in Lidu just a few days ago and the woman in front of me, an old woman, she can't speak English. She had a very young boy, like a 10 year old or something doing the interpretation for her. And as soon as they checked out, uh, they were about to pay and the woman that was at the till told them the balance. The woman knew that they, they didn't have that much money. So the boy told her, okay, they said, it's so, so, so how much? She said, we don't have that. We're going to take away this and that. And the Holy Spirit said, pay the balance. And I volunteered to do that. She rejected my volunteering. But the point is, in submitting to do that, I am acknowledging to the Spirit of God that you are my director. I don't get to decide whether or not I will be the one to yield to what you are saying. Mine is to maintain that posture of, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. People who are full of grace, they say yes to God. They say yes to God. When we give him our yes or our yeses, he gives us his blessings. When you give him your yes, he blesses you. He blesses you. And he blesses you to the point of sharing his glory in another dimension with you. And the simple application on that is to ask yourself, what is God asking of you that you are yet to say yes to? I feel like there's someone listening now that there is an instruction that is just looming around. There is a knowing that you have of it, but just an unwillingness to go down that route. Maybe because of the seeming embarrassment that you think will come with it. But God will never give you an instruction that ends in you being embarrassed. If there is an embarrassment that comes with it, it's a temporary one. Because it rewards every tiny detail of our obedience and submission. And when Mary came to that point when she was like, how will this happen? The angel responded how she's going, it's going to happen. The verse that we end up, ended up with in verse 38, she was like, be it unto me according to your word. And she wasn't saying that like from a posture of pride. Oh, bring it on. I'm able to do this. No, she's saying it out of total surrender and submission. Let it be done to me according to that which is the will of God. The third point that I'm going to dwell on is, again, she was proclamative of the will of God. She's not just inquisitive about it. She's not just submissive to it, but she also gives expression verbally to it. Bible says after the angel had visited her, and we didn't read this part, the very next verse says she hurried away straight to go and visit Elizabeth, who is, by the way, a relative. Some versions says she's her aunt, some say she's her cousin, 
or many versions just say they are relatives. But in any case, she went to Elizabeth, who is by far older than her in years. But Bible says as soon as she came in, you see the atmosphere, the aura that she's carrying. As soon as she saw Elizabeth, there was the baby in her, in her womb leapt for joy. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she began to speak prophetically and was like, oh, wow, blessed is she who is willing to, to submit herself to do that which God is asking her to do. And she went on and on to, to say many, many, very many other things that she's undeserving of that visit and et cetera, and et cetera. And Bible says Mary herself came to them, begin to speak. And she sang a beautiful song of praise to God. It's called the Magnificat. It's in Luke chapter one, verse 46 to 55. You might want to check it out. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit delights, or is excited in the God of my salvation. And she went on and on and on, giving expression in praise, in prayer, even in prophecy to that which is the will of God for that moment. Some of the things she's saying is not palatable to the reality she would go through. She summarized the entire salvation story and a kind of a summary of the life of Jesus in those few verses. And the fact is, even she herself was going to be hurt as a mother by some of the realities of what she was saying, but she was in the will of God proclaiming it, proclaiming it and praising God delightfully for it. For being the mother of a child that would be so 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 contentious among the kingdoms of those days, being the mother of a child that would be crucified in your very presence, being the mother of a child that they would throw a spear to his side while you're watching, just after he had finished saying to John, "Look at your mom and mother, look at your son," handing over the care of Mary to John the beloved. In spite of the inconvenience of those words, she was proclamative of the will of God. And the fact is, by way of application, God is with all of us, is with all believers like that at all times. Psalm 46 verse 1 calls him an ever-present help in times of trouble. However, what makes the difference in our realities as we go out every day as Christians, as believers, and have different kinds of experiences. It is to the degree to which you are aware that God is actually with you. If you always remember God is with me, you think twice before you do some things, or you decide to run some thoughts and some decisions by him before you conclude like the one in the driver's seat of your life. How can you teach yourself to be more aware of his presence? That's a question for us. How can you, how can you train yourself to be more prone to knowing that I'm not alone. God is right here right now with me. He's, he's willing to say something to me in this bus. He's willing to say something to me as I sit on this toilet seat. He's willing to say something to me wherever it is that I find myself at time. And one of the ways to do that is just to discipline yourself for a consistent, regular, daily exposure to his word. To his word. And not just reading it, but contemplating on it, which leads me to the final point. Mary was contemplative of God's promises. Every instant of that story, read Luke chapter one and Luke chapter two. You keep seeing the, 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 the reference keeps coming up that she keeps those words. She kept pondering those words in her heart. Specifically in verse 19 of chapter two, Bible says, but Mary treasured all these things. She gave careful thoughts to them and she was pondering them in our hearts. 
she kept meditating on them. This was after Simeon had just seen Jesus. Jesus was brought to the temple as is their custom on the eighth day. And Simeon, a man that God has told you will not die until you see the Savior, knew by the Holy Spirit that that was the Savior, held the baby in his hands and declared some wonderful prophecies. But Bible says then he looked to Mary and said to her, this is the kind of boy that you are holding in your hands. It's going to drive a spear to your very own heart. And Bible says she kept those words. She pondered those words in her heart. She did the same when the shepherds came. The shepherds had seen all these, I mean, the angels appeared to them. They gave them the good news. They rushed to Bethlehem to go and see the baby. And they also said very many wonderful things. But rather than just being excited unnecessarily, Bible says she kept those words. She pondered it. She pondered it. The same thing when Anna met the baby, she pondered those words in her heart. And by application, I just want to ask us, how much of a ponderer are you? And how frequently do you contemplate the promises of God for you from his word? The Bible is full of them. But do you intentionally call them forth to mind? That's what contemplation and pondering means. It doesn't end when you read. It doesn't end at the Bible study. It doesn't end at the sermon. Some of those things that the Holy Spirit intentionally dropped in a special place of your heart, you're supposed to keep regurgitating them. You are going back to them, calling them forth and thinking about them. What does this mean? Sometimes it will lead you to ask someone that might even know. Some other times it will lead you to some personal study. And you don't have to be a pastor, a growth growth track teacher, or a Bible study teacher to do this. This is supposed to be our life as Christians. Every single one of us contemplating and meditating on the scriptures. By way of conclusion, the fact is God's grace is limitless. And we've seen that again and again. But not only that, that limitless grace is resident in us. It's not something that will fall on us unusually. It's not something that is going to come externally. As long as Christ is in you, his grace, as full as it can get, is inside of you. But the expression of it is what we differ in our experience about. And there is a posture to maintain, which we can see from Mary's life, that can make you the kind of person that enters into an atmosphere and someone that is pregnant with a vision decides that, oh my goodness, I think by reason of my interaction with this person, I'm going to go for this thing because I know God is leading me to go and do it right now. Your presence makes the difference. What's that posture? Be inquisitive. Don't be satisfied with just the general information. Take the information, but go on and ask God more. Get more details. Be submissive. Be ready to say yes. Even if you don't have all the details, at least be willing to submit because he knows what you don't know. Be proclamative of his goodness, of his will, of his counsel, and keep contemplating it in your heart. And I pray that the light of God's grace will shine through us all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you because your word is alive. And we thank you because you are the God of all grace. As many of us as have submitted to you that are listening today, we are asking, oh God, for that, for that awakening of a consciousness to engage with you more intentionally, to see you more clearly, to love you more dearly, to follow you more nearly day by day. And for as many that may be here listening now that are yet to make that commitment, we are asking, oh God, that you beckon upon our hearts to respond to that word today and come into this dimension of relationship with you 
that makes us also vessels of grace, full of grace to the overflow. In Christ Jesus' holy name, we pray. Amen, amen, amen. amen. amen.